When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back. This is episode three. No, two, three, seven. Excuse me. Two, three, seven. <laughs> we got a we got false. Start. <laughs> the episode name is false start number two. Uh, so Mike and I just had a discussion. I already had a false start today, and it was because I've done 18 hours of organizing invoices and doing bookkeeping for tax season. And I've done it throughout the year because in years past, it's taken me a whole week at the year end. So I thought I'm going to do it, you know, piecemeal throughout the year. And it did help. I finished it in two days, 18 hours. And technically it wasn't even two days. It was like all of yesterday, like the show notes were late. The episode was not. The show notes were late, published at 5 a.m. or something like that. And then I got up today and worked in it for a few hours as well. So I'm broken. This is now I'm not I guess it's not technically a false start, but the episode title is <laughs> I can't even focus JavaScript fundamentals. You need to know before learning React. Thankfully, Mike wrote this episode, so I'm going to drink some coffee and turn my webcam off. <laughs> so if this sounds interesting to you. Do you want to support the show? You could go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. Now, Mike, please, before I false start the introduction, take it away. <laughs> Matt, Matt is a broken person today. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to take over this episode. It's okay, Matt, but please feel free to jump in if you don't understand something. Um, and I will try to explain it and take up more time. Anyway, let's just jump right into the episode. Again, Matt said it, JavaScript fundamentals that you need to know before learning React. Now, React, replace React with Svelte, Vue, Angular, whatever other JavaScript framework that complete, that does the same thing as React, right? There's plenty of them out there. There's even new ones out there that, uh, I haven't tried, SolidJS and Astro and et cetera, like a million others. Anyway, but they all work on JavaScript. There are JavaScript frameworks. And I always get this question, whereas like, do I need to know a lot of JavaScript before jumping into something like React? So I figured, hey, let's do an episode on this whole topic and let's explain what I think. And this isn't like the definitive guide or the, the source of truth that you should be following. You should do your own research as well on top of what I'm saying. But this is a great starting point for you to be able to transition into learning something like React. That's kind of the key here that I want to make. So a couple areas that I'm going to cover. Why is it important to learn JavaScript before a framework? And what do you need to know before jumping in, right? So let's jump right into why is it important to learn JavaScript before learning a framework like React, Vue, and Svelte. Frameworks, again, are built on top of JavaScript. So a lot of their functionality, a lot of the core fundamentals of what they're doing can be broken down into the JavaScript fundamentals of how develop, like how the code is written, right? So 
if you're building on top of something that was built on a language, it's usually recommended to understand at least the core concepts of how it was built. Because there are certain comp- concepts in these frameworks like conditional rendering, like looping and all that, that are pretty much one-to-one to how they are implemented in JavaScript. So if you understand them in JavaScript, you're almost going to have a, a, a way big, like a way huge bigger advantage of understanding them inside the framework as well. And another even more key point that I kind of always point out, whereas like why learning the base is better than just jumping into a framework, debugging issues that arise in a framework. So when you're writing something in in React and you get an error in the console, knowing if it's coming from the React APIs or the actual JavaScript code that you've written is really, really important and really, really difficult to wrap your head around initially, right? Even if you know JavaScript really well, that's the kind of the first point of suffering that I see for new developers. It's like, well, this isn't working and I don't know what to search. Is it a JavaScript issue or is it a React issue? And if you don't have a good base in JavaScript, that becomes almost insurmountable, right? Figuring out which is which becomes really, really difficult. It's still possible. I've seen people do it. It's, it becomes kind of a grinded out game where you go and search for a, an issue that you're having and you go through Stack Overflow like 15 questions down and try to figure out and eventually you figure out that one issue, but that doesn't help you with the next one either. <clears throat> Whereas if you have a good base in JavaScript, a lot of the times you'll be able to figure out, okay, well, this issue is just the, you know, there's a null placement here. So this, this variable wasn't declared. A variable not declared is not a React issue. That's a JavaScript issue. Let me ask you this though. So when, when it comes to this, so there, like I, I messed around with Svelte for a while and I remember talking about it on the show over a year ago now. And one of the problems I ran into because I am pretty well full vanilla JS right now is that I don't seem to have a way to tell where JavaScript ends and the framework begins. I don't know where the line is. And I constantly, because you're able to solve everything in JavaScript effectively, when it comes to, oh, I need to place a picture here or something in the in the app, I don't go, well, let me just grab that Svelte function. I always just immediately go to the JS one. And then I'm always questioning, well, wait a second, is that right? And then I go look it up. And sometimes there's a really convoluted way to do it in Enter Framework here. In my case, it was Svelte. And then I have a problem. Because then, well, now do I spend time learning how to manipulate slash place this image or do I just leave it in vanilla JS? And it's a it's. It's kind of like that, like I'm thinking in JS, even when I'm working with Svelte, if that makes sense. I think that's inherent and that's going to happen no matter what when you're starting out. So like I, I had that issue initially as well. But as you start learning the framework itself, like as you start diving into the documentation a little bit more, you realize that there's just not that much that the framework does. It's not like an infinite amount of possibilities. It's like a finite, here's the, you know, 10 different things that a framework can do for you that you don't need to worry, worry about with like custom JavaScript, you know, conditional rendering and looping over stuff and creating elements, all that. Like you start to figure out that, hey, there's just a finite number. And that's when you start to piece the two together where you're like, 
I don't need to do this in JavaScript. I can do this using the frameworks built in APIs and vice versa. I, I, I can't do this with the built in APIs. I need to build my own function or build my own, uh, you just use JavaScript. So it, the answer to, to your question is you have to kind of dive in and use it. But having said that, <clears throat> this is what I was referring to that you need to have at least somewhat of a basis to be able to make that distinction in the first place. Like if you don't have any base in JavaScript, you won't even know like what is JavaScript and what is just the framework doing its magic, right? So it becomes even more hairy. It becomes even more complicated to decouple the two and understand when to use each one. The issue I think you were having more than anything, Matt, is just you, 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 you only use it for a limited amount of time. I think we only did one small project in it. Yeah, I was planning on making a game or something, and then I, I didn't because we got busy doing something else. Correct. So, like, you, you got to the point where you started to kind of a little bit figure out that, hey, this wasn't the most optimal way to do it, right? That happens all the time. Like, it's going to happen again for you next time you go into Svelte, no matter what. But that's when you have to kind of, okay, you did it one way, try to do it the, jo- the, the Svelte way and compare the two. And that's when you start to realize you get that kind of like light bulb in you that, hey, some things at the Svelte way are a little bit easier than the JavaScript way. And you start to go back and forth, back and forth. And again, it, it's it's an incremental process. A way to kind of skip that would be to do a course before you dive into, right, dive into a framework because the course will take you through all the basic functionality uh, of that framework. So you'll have a better idea of when to dive, when to use a framework functionality and when to use JavaScript. But if you're not a course type person or a course type learner, it's okay to screw that up. I, I, in my opinion, it's perfectly fine to, you know, do it the inefficient way. If it works, it works. Sometimes the inefficient way won't work. Sometimes using it the JavaScript way won't work. And that'll be a clear indication that, hey, I need to reach for the, the framework way. I suppose the same thing goes with just vanilla JavaScript. And I'm not really thinking of that way because how many times have I gone back to an old project that someone's wanted renovated and I look at what I've done? And gone, what in like, what the hell happened here? And it just looks like a bomb went off. And that was because I've gotten better at the craft. Even something as simple as a WordPress setup, I've gotten better at knowing, okay, this plugin does these functions. So I don't need two plugins to do that. And the list goes on. So I suppose it's just a, it's sort of just a, 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 ga- a game of experience. I'm just gaining experience. And I'm not, and I'm, th- and because going from JavaScript to something like Svelte or just any framework, is is a clear dividing point. It's a clear divider. I'm thinking, oh, no, like uh, it, I'm thinking in JavaScript and I'm having that like weird, like, should I be doing this in React or Svelte? Should I be? How do I get React to do this for me? When in reality, there's a bunch of ways to do things just in J- JS alone. And I don't think about that anymore. So I'm just kind of inst- kind of push away that thought because of that physical or that very clear rather divider. Yep. <clears throat> That's a good way to put it. But to make it a little bit easier for you, Matt, I do want to dive in to talk about what you do need to know before jumping in, right? Like, I mean, Matt, you probably already know most of these things, but there's a few here that you might, you know, might pique your curiosity and everyone else listening. Um, I think this will be a good list of things to at least start learning. If you're on that phase of your journey in JavaScript or in your web development career, where you're like, well, <clears throat> I need to start reaching out and maybe using a more interactive framework, or I need to start looking for a job and all the jobs are React. Well, before you go into the React side of things, maybe just takes a little bit of time. This is not going to take that long, but take a little bit of time to just go through and learn the fundamentals of JavaScript. 
especially the fundamentals that are going to be used on a day-to-day basis inside of your frameworks. So first thing here, variables. That This one's simple um, in, in a sense that, it, like, especially if you're coming from a different programming language, it's not simple for people first learning JavaScript or first learning coding in general. But in general, it's one of the most basic fundamental things in a programming language. In JavaScript, you're looking at three different types. Const, which is a constant. This is a type that can't be changed directly, right? So if you declare a constant A is equal to 10, and then later on you try to change A to 5, it'll throw an error. It won't let you change it. Then there's a let, which is a changeable variable. So then if you declare let A equals 5, and you later on in your code change A to 10, it will allow you to do that. And then there's a var. This is kind of a, a precursor to constant let. It was used before constant let was brought into the spec. And it is more of a global scoped variable that can be changed. So it's very similar to a let, but it has a little bit of difference in terms of scoping. I'm not going to go into details of all this stuff because then we would be sitting here talk with me talking in monotone for a million different, for a million years, but I would just want you to kind of note these down or look at the show notes. They're going to be on the htmlthings.com website and go through and just go through the MDNs. I'll even link the MDNs for each and every one of these things that I'm talking about. And the MDN is the resource, uh, the Mozilla resource a website for the spec that I'm talking about. So variables will have its own link where it'll explain what a variable is and all the different types of variables. Take some time, go through it, and then maybe build a few little things with them, do the examples that they have there, and you should be able to get a good understanding. Next thing here is conditional statements. This one's huge. One of the biggest parts of programming in general is being able to do like a a branch of being like, hey, if this or this, then do this, that kind of thing. That's what a conditional statement is. So in JavaScript, there's a few of them. If, if, if else, else statements, those are the basic generic ones. There's a switch case statement. That's just different cases based on a variable. There's ternary statements. This one is very common in frameworks. I wanted to include it, but it's like a single line if else statement that kind of looks a little bit weird. And a lot of times I was, I was really hesitant about using these, right? Because in my opinion, it makes the code less readable. But in some situations, it, it, I've changed my mind on that because of how easy it is to write them, how quick it is to write these statements, and how if you understand them, this is a key thing, if you understand ternary statements, how easy it is to read a simple one. There's such things as nested ternary statements that I'm very much against still because they look extremely complicated and ugly. But a simple ternary statement, if you understand it, can actually reduce the complexity of your code. Ternary statements are otherwise known as arrow functions, right? Or arrow? No. no. Arrow functions are different, yeah. I believe they were introduced in the same spec. Or no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking is one of those ifs that's done in the one line. I can't remember now. So I can't remember the theory behind some of this stuff. Ternary statement has your um, condition. So like if one is equal to, or if A is equal, equal to, equal, equal to five, then it has a question mark after that. The, the, oh, after yes, the question okay. mark, you put the, um, true condition. So if it's actually equal to, mm-hmm. and then you put a colon and you put the else condition. So what happens if it's not equal to the else? So, so this, I actually find, I agree with what you just said, where maybe, it, you know, it's easy to read single line ones or whatever. 
I will say that I find ternary statements not helpful in tutorials and videos I watch. Yeah. Because when the person's going through and they're writing something, let's say they go from not a ternary, they just do a standard if else and else if, then it it's very like human. And sure, it might take on more lines, but in, for the sake of the tutorial, at least when I read it, I'm thinking if this is, and it's more natural thinking going through it. Whereas the ternary, I'm always like, wait a sec, is that the true one? Like, really quick and i'm learning something new at the same time and it's screwing me up big time arrow statements or sorry arrow functions do the same thing to me when something doesn't have the words all the words there that are like more more english if you will or literally english if then function all this blah 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 then for me anyway when learning something i'm always like what is (laughs) what's going on here i agree with you a lot on that for sure in documentation especially it shouldn't you shouldn't be using those kinds of statements like ternary statements. They are still used a lot, unfortunately, in courses and tutorials and documentation. They're used all over the place right now, especially because of React and Svelte. They've kind of brought them into the mainstream, in my opinion. Um, but you're right for a beginner developer that's just learning if statements to just throw a ternary randomly in there, especially alongside an if sometimes. Like I've seen an if statement and then inside of that a ternary statement without the explanation of it. That's a mind bender. Like that's something that might actually stop them from understanding that completely. There, yeah, there absolutely is. So right now I'm working on that project that we had, we had disclosed on the show, and I'm learning. I'm kind of getting re um, I'm reevaluating my my repracticing, I suppose, my svelte knowledge, and I'm learning to make that passive income project. And one of the things that this one video did was a bunch of arrow functions, a bunch of ternary functions to the point where I had to pause repeatedly, go and look and go, okay, hang on, I have to think this through. And it's not that I don't understand what's going on. It's that it's not super instant. And I'm not focused on that. I'm focused on in this particular case, I was focused on how he's authenticating users. And to see something that is realistically shorthand is really confusing. To me, it's almost, although not quite as bad as, almost as bad as uh, copy pasting. When someone just takes an entire script and they paste it, but they don't explain it in a tutorial, it, I just, it's gone. Cause I, I, I can't, I'm not gonna like stop for a second and quickly think to myself, okay, hang on, pause the screen go down it through through it myself because i'm doing that i might as well just read all the mdn docs and read all the specs and then figure it out myself the the point of the tutorial is to make it easier for me and and i'm totally fine with them using arrow functions and this and that if they explain what's going on but to me these are largely and yes i'm sure there's other benefits but these are largely developer shorthand in an area where i'm not trying to be quick i'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on i think that's all they are is developer shorthand in fact like i i mean Certain things are easier with them for sure, like assigning a value to an object with a ternary one-liner is easier than having to go into an if statement and putting that – like declaring the value outside of the if statement because you have to declare it locally scoped stuff. Scoping in general, something that I haven't added here is scoping. Um, and I'm going to add it right now just so I can – I remember to put the MDN. I I don't have too much – too many notes on it, but scoping like – what you declare inside of curly brackets and what you declare outside of curly brackets and how it's read between the two is a really important concept to learn in programming and especially before learning um, something like React because scoping is going to be all over the place with React. But again, as I was saying, uh, it's a little bit easier to declare stuff because you don't have to do it inside or outside of the brackets. You could just do it all in one line. 
but it is still a shorthand, right? It just makes it a little bit easier. So yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I agree with you. I was actually very much against ternary statements for most of my early career, and I refused to use them. And I even refactored some old code that uh, I was brought on to help with to get rid of all of them one time. I, I kind of regret that now. But regardless, like I was very against them, but I've slowly learned to appreciate them. But when you're teaching, it's not something that you should be promoting without explaining. If you're using a ternary statement in a, in a beginner tutorial, you have to explain a ternary statement almost every time you use it. Because again, it, one time might not be enough. That, that's the one thing that sucks is that if you go into a more advanced topic, like admittedly, Svelte, adding authentication to Svelte is an, is an advanced thing. So they're probably thinking I'm like super advanced, but I haven't used a ternary in a while. And so it's, you know, maybe it's on me to an extent. Maybe like this is a nitpick and this is very all this feedback I'm giving is a very personal. Maybe maybe many of you are rolling your eyes going, well, just no ternary statements and be better at JavaScript before you get into Svelte. Maybe that's maybe that's what I need to do. But this is a nitpick that I'm finding because I I did find tutorials that don't use ternary and ternary and don't use uh, don't use arrow functions. And then I'm able to well understand them. Without any delay in understanding, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree with that. Um, next thing in the conditional statements would be optional chaining. This one is kind of a conditional. Well, I mean, it is a conditional, but it's a little bit outside the scope of a conditional statement. But it's constantly used with conditional statements in frameworks. How it's used when you are showing when you are going to show like an authentication page Um or, or like a login and you have everything set for the login, a lot of times to show the login or the register page, you'll see if someone already has clicked that or actually that's a bad example. A lot of times to show, let's say, um, a login, a, a, an element of a page that should only be shown to a logged in user, like the profile icon, let's say, right? The profile icon should only be showed when a user is logged in. Uh, you'll check to see if an account exists in your context or in your in a variable that you've set, whatever. And to do that with a, a framework, you can literally write an if statement with JavaScript, uh, especially with, with uh, React, you can write in JSX plain JavaScript statements. And in that kind of in, in the actual conditional, you can write like data dot accounts dot dot user dot username or something like that, right? And see if the username exists. Now, the issue is, is that if data or account don't exist, that statement will actually return an error saying that data.account is undefined. But you need to know if the username exists, right, on the account, because an account can maybe have a blank object in it or something. To get around that, instead of writing like more complex if statements, like you can write data, then and and data.account, then and and data.account.username, like you can literally chain them together, in that way, to save space, what you can do is just put a question mark after each one that you don't know if it'll be there or not. So in this case, it'll be data question mark dot account question mark dot email question mark or dot username question mark. And then when you're actually doing the conditional statement, if one of them doesn't exist, it'll automatically be false. And then it won't show that user that um, profile picture. So Optional chaining is a little bit complex. I explained it in the most simple way I can, but it's still something that you should look up yourself and figure out. 
or at least understand that it exists because at some point you're going to be looking at documentation for React or for something and you're going to see these weird question marks in your string of, uh, string of variables and you're going to question what they are. Those are optional chaining question marks. Again, a shorthand. Um, and again, conditionals are really, really important to understand because like I mentioned just there, showing and hiding elements in a UI is a very big part of using a framework based on a condition. So again, if you're logged in or not logged in, what do you show and what do you show, what do you not show? And it's the same thing for any other, any other element. Like if you're an administrator or not administrator, what do you show and not show? All of that can be handled with conditionals in templates or in your HTML with a JavaScript framework. So it's important to understand them. Next thing here is looping. So looping is, it's a, again, another fundamental programming concept that you have to understand in general. Uh, there's only a few types of loops in JavaScript, at least just generic loops. One of them is a while loop. So while, an, an, while a condition is true, do this forever, right? That's a while do or a while loop, however you want to call it. There's both of them, I think. The more common loop to use in JavaScript, because while is actually not as common, because it can obviously, uh, infinite loops can happen a lot easier with a while loop. So people will avoid using that until the very like last, last resort, uh, due to the fact that it is per, uh, prone to infinite looping. A for loop is a lot more common. So a for loop will say like for this condition, for this, for this variable that you declare, loop X amount of times and then iterate every, after every loop, iterate this variable by X amount, right? Then you can set all those different parameters inside of a for loop. So it's a lot more um, constrained. And in, in, in that sense, it can be used in a lot of different ways. Now, having said that, personally, I haven't used a generic regular for loop in actually a, quite a while because of all the other ways to loop through data that have um, been introduced to JavaScript to introduce the scope. One of those is for of and for in loops. So those are literally, uh, checking what, how, like what elements are in your arrays and loop, you can loop over them X amount of times based on the elements in your arrays. And you can actually pull out those elements in every single iterator of the loop and use them for something, which is usually what you're using a loop for anyway. Right. So for of and for in are much more common, at least in my case, for when I'm, when I'm actually going through loops. But the even more common one after that would be uh, actually just using array iterators. And I'll talk about that in a second. But I just, again, wanted to really iter um, focus in on just the basic fundamentals of a loop, even though you're not going to be using it all that much because of the array iterators that we're going to be talking about in a second. It's still important to understand how loops work because when you're looping, through data inside of a template. So inside of your HTML, let's, let's say you have five different elements or five different uh, posts that you got back from a fetch response. You want to display all five posts in a little grid. You're going to have to use a some sort of iterator or loop to go through and display those elements. And again, that's the basic concept of looping is iterating over. One common thing that I use for loops for, and I've actually been recommended to use for loops for actually, is when I'm trying to assign a value, more than likely it's a property, to multiple elements that are dynamically generated. An example of that would be if Webflow is constantly uh, generating 
pictures. So let's say I'm going in my CMS and I upload six images and those six images appear as six images, six image elements. If I need to give them all an alt and for some reason I can't do that with the Webflow controls, then I would go through a for loop and do a traditional for loop for, to, to grab each of those and then quickly just stamp on my alt. Now, maybe that's the most, maybe I don't know if that's the most efficient way to do it, but I've actually looked it up and people have recommended doing it that way, specifically in that sort of context. Yeah. Like, and, and there's different little, um, niches for every loop like a while loop is still used even though it's not recommended to use in a lot of instances in javascript there's still different niches and different little things where a while loop is the right answer so it's important to understand these concepts because when you're approaching a situation or like a problem that you need to solve right because that's all programming is you had you're given a problem how do you solve it here's all the tools which tool do you use? Like nine of these tools can do can do this problem. Which one is at least a little bit more efficient or which one can do it safer than the other ones and stuff like that. That's where this stuff kind of starts to play in, right? It, understanding that there are different tools is the first step and then understanding what the different tools do and how they benefit or, or uh, negate different things is the next step that you start to learn. And you don't have to learn everything all at once. I'm not saying you need to be an expert in any of these that I'm talking about right now to learn React. But I'm just saying like being aware of them and understanding the basic concepts of them will make you a better will make it easier for you to kind of understand the what React's doing in the background and what you can do with React as well. All right, so moving on to probably the biggest topic and the most important, I would say, thing to learn before learning a framework is arrays. Almost everything in JavaScript uh, can be... It's So everything in JavaScript is kind of an object, right? That's that's what the meme is, and that's what people say. Like everything in JavaScript is an object, but I always kind of say that most things are arrays <laughs> because a lot of times these are an array can do so much more than just a plain object. And usually, what you're doing is you have an array of objects that you need to iterate over and do something with. So again, back to the the, the idea of posts, you get a you do a call to an API that gives you blog posts, right? You need to display those blog posts in some, in some way. How do you do that? Right? So let's say on one page, you need to display just like the image and the title of the blog post. That's a common thing for like a grid of just displaying your stuff. With that, you don't need all the information to be displayed. You don't need all of the information to be iterated over and over again because a blog post can have a body, which can have a ton and ton of content. A blog post can have all the different meta tags associated with it. A blog post can be a very big object, okay? You can use something like a map to iterate over your all your blog posts and only return what you actually need to display, because a map can change your can create a new array out of your uh, out out of your like ob out of your already existing array that only contains the minimal set that you need. So you can only return for a, a, a mapped blog post that you need to do, display in a, an array or like in a grid. You only need the image, the title, and maybe a little blurb or something like that. So that's all you that's all you return. And now you've reduced or you've mapped. 
an array into the smallest possible form, and it's easier for you to then go and iterate over it without causing any sort of performance issues or making a headache for any other developer coming in and seeing that, hey, this one has 15 different objects or 15 different elements to it. Which one do I actually have to use? Simplifies your arrays. So there's a ton of different array functions. That was just one example that can do a lot to your data that you receive. That it can help you sanitize, sort, filter, reduce, and just iterate over all the different data. You know how, I mean, this is an example for like a, a um, an interview. You get like the bubble sort or, hey, sort this by alphabetically or sort this by, uh, you know, the third element in the object or something like that. All that kind of logic that you would have to write kind of almost by hand in an interview, that already exists inside of the array element for JavaScript. There's a sort function. There's a filter function. So you, you can literally type that dot filter and then filter a array of objects by an element. So, hey, I only want these uh, blog posts if they have a type of guide. That's all built into JavaScript if you understand how the filter function works on the array. And that's why it's really important to kind of double down and understand these array um, methods that are available to you because you're going to be using them a lot. Much more efficiently, too, than what Mike and I used to do and many others would do as well, which is using the for loop to go through and you'd have to loop through, check every single blog post. Once it's checked through them, then you filter it with your own logic and that logic is going to be unique per filter and stuff like that because you're not going to code anything the same twice unless you're using the same snippet. And it becomes a really cumbersome problem because if my codes one up and I code one up, they're going to be different. But if I, in this case, instead of sorting in different ways, I use you know, sort, the sort method, and Michael used the sort method, and it's virtually the same, if not the same. And it, and it really does help. Yeah, you don't have to rewrite them, and they're already decently efficient. Now, having said that, if you have 10 million blog posts coming in on one call, uh, that's a totally different conversation. You might want to actually rewrite the sorting function and figure out something new for your specific use case. But for the 99.5% of all the other users that have a regular amount of stuff coming in, all of these built-in array functions are going to do the job. Use them and learn them. Next thing here is async await, promises, and fetch. So I kind of loop them all in. They are different things, but I've looped them all into one because they all relate to this to, to very similar uh, structures of what you're going to be using them for. A lot of times you're going to need to fetch data from an API or from your CMS or whatever, right? So there's a built-in fetch API that can handle that for you now. Before, back in the day, we would have to use uh, XML HTTP request or something like that, or a built-in or like bring in a library called Axios. People still use Axios. It's still a good library, honestly. It has the same elements of fetch. It's a little bit simpler to use, but regardless, fetch is built in. And like, if you're using Axios or fetch, these kind Either one will help you understand that you need these structures in a, in a framework or outside of a framework, even really. Whenever you're dealing with data from an external source, you're going to need a fetch. And when you have a fetch, a lot of times you're going to have it be almost as asynchronous. 
And what I mean by that <coughs> is you're not going to know when it's going to return. JavaScript is a synchronous language in the sense that it does stuff from the top to bottom and it'll wait for each and every um, action to complete before it continues on. But certain actions, like a fetch, don't have a set time frame that they are going to be running for or don't have a set return time. So those are asynchronous functions. And if you do them you know, top to bottom as you write them and you do something with the fetch data right after you fetch it and you don't add an asynchronous keyword or an async keyword and a wait keyword, then that next element that you're going to be running might not get the data first from the fetch because it doesn't know when the fetch is done. That's the issue is like when you're waiting for things to happen, JavaScript doesn't know that you're waiting inherently. So it'll just move on to the next thing. And this is where promises and async await come in. So async await is the more modern way or the more, the e in my opinion, the easier way to handle this. Async await allows you to do things synchronously, even when it's asynchronous. So if you put a, a, a async keyword on your function, that'll allow it to be asynchronous. That allow asynchronous events to happen synchronously. Essentially, when you add a any sort of awaitable function to your code, like a fetch, you can just do await fetch, and it'll wait, like literally wait for that whole action to be done before it moves on to the next piece of code. So you're writing asynchronous functions synchronously. It's a lot easier to read. It's a lot easier to maintain. It has its own kind of advantages and disadvantages, obviously, but at least you're you're going back to the structure of JavaScript. One of the simple things here is honestly the like a simple way to understand this is, is a situation that I just experienced, which was a client had me uh, input some ads or uh, embed some ads in his Webflow site, and they obviously gave us a script. And then right after doing that, I went and I checked the Google PageSpeed Insights and. Obviously, that script, because it was accessing a remote graphic effectively, was really slowing us down. So just simply adding an async helped out a lot because it allows the page to continue doing all of its loading. It was a very media heavy page to begin with. So it allows the page to keep doing its loading while it's waiting for that script to do whatever it's doing effectively, not blocking the page for as long. That's exactly it. So it, it, it you can sometimes you want to block. And sometimes you don't want to block. And that's where you kind of use async or don't use async. If you don't want to block something, that's where you use a promise. So if you need something to run in the background while your the rest of your code continues on, you can use a promise and then you can use literally a dot then. So once the promise is done, you have a dot then function for that promise where you can do whatever you need to do with the return of that promise. Okay. And an example of that would be like if you need a number that's like you don't you would you would promise to receive the person's bank balance before displaying an assumed bank balance value. You want the true bank balance value. Just a really brief example. <coughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And then you, you, you do whatever you need to do in the dot then to display that value then, right? Because the value is only going to come when the dot then is reached. Now, there's right. obviously error catches and catch statements. We're, I didn't even have any – I didn't even have error catches on this list Probably another thing that we should add, but regardless, it's something you could probably learn as you go. It's not required. Um, but yeah, it's important to kind of understand the differences between promises and async await. And it's important to understand that they exist and when to use each one. I personally, 95% of the time I'm using async await. I only use promises when I really don't care about when it returns. 
So I just, I do a promise and, you know, if, if I really don't care, then I let it run in the background and I do everything else while the promise is returning. Um, next thing here, template literals. Uh, so this is just a syntax, kind of syntax sugar um, that a lot of, well, JavaScript has built in, but a lot of frameworks will use all the time for displaying strings and variables or running a function and a, and a string beside each other. So if you have, for instance, let's say currency, right? Uh, a lot of times this is used for like an e-commerce currency example. So you know that you're going to have a dollar sign. That's a string, a character, but you don't know what the number is going to be because it's just a variable. Well, you can use, instead of having like dollar sign plus, which is a concatenation uh, uh, price, what you can do is use backticks. So a backtick and then put the dollar sign in like a regular character and then use, uh, this is going to be a little bit confusing, but a dollar sign and in between squiggly brackets, put your variable that you want to, that, that is associated with your price, which is like a price, whatever the variable is called. And then if you put them together, it'll automatically concatenate that into one string once it gets the actual price. So it's again, a way of doing concatenation of strings to variables faster and cleaner. Um, it looks a little bit hairy a little when, when you first see it, but as you start using it, you realize that it's a little bit better than just having a bunch of pluses everywhere. And also a lot of times if you have pluses, if you have like, let's say a, a space in between two words, you're going to have to do a plus quotes with a space plus. So it just, it becomes really crazy if you're starting concatenating using pluses. So template literal is literally the, easier way of doing that. I would argue that a template temperate template literal can't speak today. Template literal is uh, arguably more readable as well. Once you get used to it, maybe the back takes might throw you off or something, but having a bunch of pluses and then sometimes you need to concatenate like a period with a price. And then you're wait a second. Is this what's going on here? And it starts getting really confusing. There's just symbols everywhere and characters everywhere. This is very clean and readable in my opinion. And you can do conditionals inside of a template literal. So if you need to display like a price with a decimal or without a decimal for whatever reason, you can do that inside of a template literal. Yeah, round it or something, right? Yeah, right. or rounded like dot round or whatever. You can actually do functional JavaScript inside of a template literal. So there's a lot of functionality there. And the main thing that I want to get across is that you're going to see this in the documentation, in your tutorials, and you're going to see, and you're probably going to use it in your code. Next thing here, uh, Matt already mentioned this, but arrow functions, arrow functions and regular functions. Regular functions are kind of the thing that you're probably going to see when you're learning, although that's shifting a little bit. A lot of learning materials are switching to default arrow functions, but essentially regular function and arrow functions behave the same. Arrow functions are syntax sugar to make it so that you don't have to write the function keyword. I personally don't understand why they exist. Personally, like because the function keyword to me is clear. Matt mentioned it that it's just like you know that this is a function now, and it's not that much more characters. So I again, this is something where I guess someone really didn't like the function keyword and wanted to declare their functions in a, in some way that's a little yeah, bit shorter. Sick of typing it. <laughs> sick of typing yeah, function. Sick of I guess. It. And yeah, so instead of a, a function keyword, you have a equal sign and a caret or like a yeah a caret to the right. <laughs> and by the way. For people that have been listening to the show for a while, it is carrot 
Matt, that has been confirmed by it has many, been confirmed many people. And all my TikToks, I've conceded that point. Big time. <laughs> yeah. So it is not Karay, which is awesome. I, I kind of want to start calling it Karay to see what people I say. I honestly thought it was Karay. Like, I wasn't oh, I screwing around. Like, it, <laughs> <laughs> I was convinced fully. Yeah, you were 100% sure. That's That was awesome. Um, okay, so that's arrow functions, regular functions. Just learn that they're the same thing, but written a little bit differently. Deconstructing. This one's a little bit weird, but also used a lot, a ton in the documentation. Essentially, what that means is instead of like declaring, let's say you have an object that has um, account, an object that has an account uh, parameter, a um, a parameter for date, a parameter for number or something, ID or whatever, right? So it has three different parameters, account, date, and ID. Traditionally... If you wanted the account it to be a separate variable, right, that you want to iterate over, what you would do is you would literally do const or let account equals uh, data.account, right? And then the, the data.account would then be assigned to the account variable. The deconstructing works a little bit differently where instead of doing that, you'd literally have squiggly brackets. So you do like a const squiggly brackets. And inside the squiggly brackets, you deconstruct the object that already has those parameters, the keys. So if the object has an account, you can put account in there and you can put um, ID in there and you can put date in there and it'll deconstruct them into a separate variable. So you can't name that variable something different. So like before, technically, you could do uh, let accounts receivables equal account or data dot account. But here it's going to be exactly linked to the key of what it's deconstructing. So, again, this isn't anything like I, I use this all the time right now. I don't even think about it anymore. This isn't something that's like mind breaking or this isn't something that is um, ten, ten, going to 10x your uh, your like, you know, your development. But it's something that is very, very like very, very used inside of frameworks, especially deconstructing of variables of, of objects and arrays, as well as import statements. So a lot, a lot of times when you're importing, you're going to be deconstructing all the export statements. So again, just good, just good to know what it is. And last thing here is the spread operator. Um, spreading is also very, very constantly used. It's essentially allows you to take a object or an array and break it up into separate pieces. It's a, it's really often used when you're like bringing two arrays together. So before there were there, there there are array methods that can like you know splice two arrays together, but right now it, the easier way to do it is literally to create a new array and then spread two arrays with a comma. So you'll have array dot dot dot. That's the spread operator array a comma, dot, 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 array B surrounded by square brackets. And that makes one big array combining the two, right? So it's spreading them too. Spread also has other functions that it can do. So I would highly recommend you to go and read the MDN that I'll be linking to understand that, hey, spread can be used in this way and that way and this way. There's different ways that you can use it in your code. And it does make things a lot simpler. Again, it's, it is a little bit of syntax sugar. It is a little bit of shorthand because it can be done in different ways, but spread has become the de facto way to do a lot of things, especially with JavaScript frameworks. 
And yeah, honestly, that's it. So like there, there's definitely a lot more that I mentioned, like errors. We didn't even talk about that. Scoping, again, I would highly recommend you look at that. I'll try to add as much as I can. I can think of to our show notes that I didn't talk about, but I just wanted to get a, as much as I could in your mind without going too deep into the details so that you have at least the ideas there when you start looking at all these different concepts. I had one final brief question. So there's a lot of topics here, a lot of things we've covered, even some of the stuff I've messed up and, and, and am rusty on, for example, but I am jumping into Svelte. So the question kind of stems from that, and that is, how much of this stuff do you need to know? Uh, do you need to know everything? You will never know anything perfectly, so I'm not going to try to use that. But do you need to know everything to the point where without looking it up, you can just go in and do it? Or do you just need to know that if someone's talking about a ternary statement, for example, is the thing that I got hung up on, uh, that I would be able to know that that's some sort of conditional statement and that I'd be able to Google that. How far into the knowledge should these people dive in for these concepts? That's a really good, uh, that's a really good question. And it's a tough, it's a tough one to answer. One thing is like, you need to know how to write JavaScript. This is something that I didn't even mention in this, you know, in this guide or this podcast, you need to at least know the basics of JavaScript in general. Can you write, you know, a, a function in JavaScript? Can you solve a problem in JavaScript? Okay. Regardless of all these other terms that I'm talking about, can you just write JavaScript? If you can write JavaScript, okay, that's step number one, which I think you can, Matt. You're good. You're good with that. I've seen you do it many times. Then no, you do not need to memorize anything that I just said here. You need to, this needs to be to the point where you know it exists and you can Google it. That's it. I don't think there's anything else that, that you need to know. It's just you need to know of these things and you need to ha- have a basic understanding of where they're used. And, and, then, and so, ba- when, so basically yeah. I'm where I should be. Like me learning Svelte like, is, is where I should be. Not the kind I think so. There, exactly. I think you're in exactly the place where you, you can go in and jump into Svelte no problem. Right. If you're if if you're out there listening and you've never written a JavaScript function before, but you understand some of these concepts you're probably not in that place. I would highly recommend to go in and try to solve a problem with JavaScript, try to create a small project, do something with JavaScript where you can prove to yourself that you can actually write plain old JavaScript and solve something, right? Again, don't worry about what I've talked about here. Just make sure that you can write it. Make sure that you can go and Google what a variable is, what like how to do an if-else statement and have an output like a console log or something like that. Maybe a good a good sort of layman way or just easy way to sum it up would be, in my experience, if a customer asks me for something that Webflow, for example, can't do, I more than likely can do it in JavaScript and already have an idea of how to do it. That does not mean I won't be Googling things along the way and refactoring even. Maybe I'll use a for loop and then maybe I should have used a sort and then I'll go back and use a sort or maybe I won't even notice and just keep the for loop there just as an example but I'm still able to solve a problem and think about solving a problem in JavaScript. Maybe that's where you should be generally. And then you can go on to a, a framework and the, and then this roadmap that Mike's laid out is very much a, Hey, just make sure you're aware of these things. I, I like that way. Yeah. That's a very practical way to put it. And I think you need to think in practicality when you're learning because you get lost in the weeds of all these tutorials and guides but at the end of the day, can you solve a problem? If someone were to give you a problem in JavaScript, even if it's a basic one, can you solve it? Can you, you know, put it into put it into a code editor and get out the result that you need to get out? That's the key. 
And that's what you just, I've just kind of repeated what you said in a different way, but regardless, like just iterate that over in your head. After that, again, go through a little bit what I'm talked, what I've talked about. Make sure you understand where they are and then you can move on. No problem. Don't, don't spend a million years learning every in and out of what an if else statement is. You're going to use it a million times and you're going to figure it out when you need to. All right. I think that's a good, good little guide, good little roadmap, if you will. Uh, to, you know, when you should be looking at learning React, Svelte, or other JavaScript frameworks and other tooling even, really. Um, once you've, this is a, cause I know a lot of people will ask, should I know everything about HTML and CSS and JS? And we've just clearly laid out that that's not the case. So, you know, if you've, if you're at this point, if you're at a point where you can solve problems with JavaScript, maybe it's time to try React, Svelte, or whatever it is you need to do for your own career or your own projects. But, it is time to end, and we'd like to thank our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, Biv Hashdash from Nineblock Media on nineblockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. If you'd like your name listed in this list, or if you'd like to support the show, you can go check us out on patreon.com slash HTML, all the things, and this outro is going to sign us off. You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast, web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off. Thank <laughs> you.